things. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we all were given the spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part but many. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, does that mean that it is not part of the body? If the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, does that mean that it is not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body, just like he wanted. If all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts, but only one body. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin LaRosa. I'm grateful to be with you um, to talk about our current series, which is We Believe. You know, I know I'm in church when everyone sits in the back. You know what we call that in 12-step work? We call that denial aisle. Uh, I'm just messing with you. Um, the, the current series is we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we're looking at this Sunday as the church. We're looking at the church. So we're going to talk about the church today. So let me just start with a quick prayer. God, you give thanks for the people, the people here, for the ways in which you are shaping them in love, calling them to unity, and sending them into the world. In Christ's name, amen. So the 19th century poet Percy Shelley said this, I could believe in Jesus if he didn't drag his leprous bride, the church, behind him. Oof. I recently was in a coffee shop, gosh, it was uh, a couple months ago, and I got into a chit-chat with a guy, uh, as I often do. And after a few minutes, he asked me the dreaded question, the dreaded question that every minister never wants to hear when you're first talking with someone. And do you know what it was? What do you do? I usually say I'm in sales. But when I'm forthright and I tell them what I do, then I, got, then I get to watch the mental gymnastics. First, they have that look of surprise on their face. Maybe it's the hair. Maybe it's the tattoos. Maybe it's the cigar. I don't know. But they do mental gymnastics as they begin to review the last few minutes to see if they've either cussed or they've said anything they would prefer not to have said to a minister. That wasn't the case for this day. This day actually led 
to a very rich conversation. So this, this guy was raised culturally a Hindu. I say culturally because he was, you know, it was cultural. It wasn't really a, a mainstream part of his life. So we talked about meditation in the Hindu tradition, and we talked about meditation in the Christian tradition, Christian contemplation. We kind of just talked, and it was, it was very cool. He's a neat guy. And he said something that kind of jumped out at me and surprised me. He said, you know, I've read the Gospels. I was like, really? Tell me about that. And, he, and much to my surprise, he had read them, and he's like, I like the teachings of Jesus. He said, but I don't like the church. The quote that Percy Shelley said was the reason. He felt like the leprous bride, the church, was being dragged behind him. So in so many words, what he said was he listed all the ways the church had failed over a long period of time. It was a patient conversation that I was listening to him to. And, and so he, he kind of said that it's too broken. It's too flawed. He was basically saying the church isn't needed. He didn't say that exactly, but that's kind of what he said. And you know, in ancient and recent history, our blessed bride, the church, has been corrupt has been hypocritical, has been racist, has been intolerant, and at times it has been violent. And the brokenness of the church is evident to most, to people you know in your life. Whether it's scandals in the news about priests or preachers making getaway with the women, men, or money, they hear about this. whether it's the church being silent in the face of evil, whether it's the church aligning itself with the powerful entrance of politicians' agendas, all of these indicate the impotence of the church, which is why many people, when they recite that creed or if they hear about that creed, feel dissonance when they hear, I believe in the one holy Catholic church. This guy would say, uh-uh. What do you say? What do you say? Is the church necessary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you didn't have to say that out loud, but I want you, uh, that's okay, I'm glad you did. I want to suggest to you the scripture points to why. I want to suggest to you that it is necessary. So, back to the conversation. I affirm this guy's astute failure analysis. And then I offered a quote. A quote that's attributed to Dorothy Day and also to Augustine. Days goes like this. The church is a harlot at times, but she is my mother. Actually, I used Augustine's, which is a little bit more surly, but I decided not to do that this morning. 
I affirm that parts of the, the, the church's history and even current being is true with the ways that it's failed. But I believe he was wrong about the church and its necessity and its call and its vitality. So we talked longer. I inquired more about his spirituality, the outcomes of his beliefs. And, you know, it was difficult for him to articulate it. Very difficult. He actually acknowledged by the end of the conversation, and I wasn't trying to be judgmental or anything like that. We were just talking about like, okay, so you believe this, so what does this mean? What does this lead toward? And what he said was that the direction of his spirituality didn't lead to much. It was more just about what he thought about in his head. He was a good guy, but the direction of his spirituality didn't lead to much. And it highlighted for Christians, and for us, I think, the first reason why the church is so utterly necessary. And it's this. You can't follow Jesus alone. There is no solo spirituality as it relates to following Jesus. Lots of people try it. Lots of people believe that I can just believe correctly about God. I can be a good person. I can just disembark myself from the church for all those reasons that we listed before. But here's the thing. Loving God and loving our neighbors and loving our enemies is not an endeavor to be unaccompanied with other people. It's too darn hard. Have you ever tried to like just love your enemy by yourself? Have you ever tried to love your family? Not anybody with you today, but those, those that you visit on Christmas or Thanksgiving by yourself? Like you need prayer support. You need to talk to somebody else like, oh my gosh, they're driving me nuts. Or the person at work. You can't be a solo Christian loving on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. Because the gravitational pull of sin is too strong. You might think, well, what does that mean? The gravitational pull towards ourselves and toward, out of the world and into our little unit, the gravitational pull to broken, to ignore relationships that are broken, to ignore the ills of the word, world, to just say, ah, I know God's with me. I don't need to cultivate that relationship. It's just, sometimes it's really subtle and it draws us away. Christianity can't be done. Following Jesus can't be done alone. So to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I'll start with the second one. The first part says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So do you know, have you ever thought about why Paul developed this metaphor? Ever thought about how he constructed it? You never heard Jesus talk so much about the body of Christ. You didn't hear Peter or James or anybody else, but Paul talked about it. Do you ever think about why? Why he, he used this metaphor? 
I want, I want to share with you where some people thought he got it because I think it's important for us to understand the church and its necessity. So before uh, his conversion to being a Jesus follower, his name was Saul, which then came to Paul after this conversion that we're talking about right now. He was a strict Jew, Pharisee, follow the law to the T, and he at this time was persecuting what they would call people of the way or men of the way. Those were the early Christians. He was jailing them. He was um, persecuting them. He was allegedly killing them as well. Then on the road to Damascus, as he was carrying out this task that he thought was so important, he had this white light experience. He heard God. He was struck blind. And he heard these words. He, he heard these words. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he thought, Jesus has been long dead. Persecute you. I'm just persecuting these gathering of people trying to follow this Jesus Christ. What he discovered is why it's so important for us. What he discovered was this. People who believe in Jesus are Jesus in the world. People are Jesus in the world. And that's how his theology around the body of Christ was constructed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used this metaphor like this. He said, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but Christ himself who has taken form among people. I'm going to read that one more time. Christ is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but is Christ himself who has taken form among his people. That means that people are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, the church. That's important. That means that even though we're, we're not just this bundle of individual collective believers, we're a part of this living, loving organism that makes God's love real, that draws people in to the life-giving teaching of Jesus Christ. It, some of you, I know, are the mouth of Jesus. Some of you are the heart some of you are the ears that you're listening out in the community and knowing what's going on and inviting and challenging the church to meet those needs. Some of you are the hands and feet that serve behind the scenes. You are the church. You are the church. And you are integral, integral to its absolute functioning. The first text in Ephesians 4, Paul is urging the church to live a life worthy of its calling. He tells them how to act and remain unified. He says that the church is one body, one spirit, and called to one hope. Again, Bonhoeffer, I was spending a lot of time with him this week, said the church is the church only when it exists for others. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving it must tell people of every calling 
what it means to live for Christ, which is existing for others. This is the only organization that primarily exists for everybody else, who people who haven't heard and experienced the love of Christ. You know, I heard about a, one such person and met with this person this week. She goes to the portico on Sunday nights. Her name is Cass. Actually, she helped start this service in 2011. She and her husband. She exemplifies existing for others. And she shared that growing up, she had no church background. And she uh, really shared with the, the guy that I was talking with in the coffee shop his perspective about the church. She re- that she got all of her information from media and bad news and Jim Baker and other people that fell down in a profound kind of way. But she found herself at really the nadir of her existence, the bottom of her life. And it was a life that was in absolute shambles. She described, for a variety of different reasons, her belief that God made a mistake with her. You know people like that in your life? Who believe they're a mistake? She had ruminations about suicide that would continue to swirl and swirl and swirl. And then she found new life. She had a spiritual experience, but she, had, she found new life in a 12-step program. And she was getting and staying clean, but that wasn't enough for her. She was still wrestling with this God and this understanding of God and who God was. And she, she still believed that this being, this one power, this one spirit was this detached, abandoning, and uninterested being. And her husband was like, why don't we, why don't we start exploring churches and some of the wisdom that has been offered for the past 2,000 years. So they went to a bunch of churches, and some of them were not very friendly, and some of them were very insider-focused. And this was in Texas. And then she went to a Methodist church in Texas. And it was called a come-as-you-are gathering. I think it was on Saturday night, and it was kind of an eating and kind of worship kind of thing. And you know what she learned in that community? She learned that she was wrong about the church. She discovered that she was a part of the body of Christ, that she had a role to actually serve. You know what's so amazing? Here's this church woman that came to this church and just a few, like a year later, I don't even know how long it was later, she was in the longest running Bible study in Texas teaching retired pastors the Bible once a month, facilitating the small Bible study group. Talk about finding your role in the body. But that's not all. What I didn't tell you was she was baptized with her daughter. And she discovered a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that changed the trajectory of her life forever. She continues today by mentoring and serving others to get and stay sober. And she points them away 
from the falsity of a detached, uninterested God to a personal, loving God found in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the church's story is full of beauty and brokenness and of love and contradiction and of faithfulness and faithlessness. But here's the thing. It has carried the message of Christ's love for 2,000 years. And this is the final reason I want to submit to you why we can say we believe and why it's important for you to be a part of it. It's this. The church is God's redemption plan. The church is God's redemption plan. It has been and always will be the improbable plan laid in our hands to be a part of walking it out in the world. Jesus established it through Peter, branched it out through Paul, reaching out to the excluded Gentiles. It's always going to be entrusted to the church. And that's a compelling reason to be a part of it. Churches will change. Denominations will flourish. Denominations will die. New churches will merge up and be fruitful for a time and close and die. But the message of Christ's love and participating in the kingdom of God here and now as we prepare for later will not die. The church will keep it going. And that means that you and me and us are to be examples of Jesus' transformation right now. Have you found your place in the body? Have you experienced a wonderful and transforming relationship with Christ, with God? And how, if so, how are you living it out? How are you taking the beliefs that you have about yourself and about God and about the church and taking them out and making them real in the world? Who are you inviting to it? Who needs to be sitting next to you from your life? We believe in the church, brothers and sisters, because number one, we can't do it alone. And number two, that all of us are integral. Each one of us, no matter what we do, no matter the ways we serve, no matter the ways we love, each of us are integral in the body of Christ. And last, we do it because we participate in the redemption of the world. It's God's redemption plan. And that is very, very good news indeed. I'd like us to end with actually reciting the words from the Apostles' Creed. And so if you wouldn't mind standing up. Now, I want you to know, if you don't believe every portion of this, you're welcome in this place as you continue to grow your love for God and love for others. Let's start together. We put it up on the screen, please? I believe, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is believed by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
from Tanzania come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen.